This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, sometimes it's the tiny things. Sometimes it's tiny little things that you hear about over the course of a hockey game or maybe after a hockey game where you pause and you say to yourself, is that true? Really? Anybody else stunned here? Quick show of hands. Anybody else shocked that last night was the first time that Steven Stamkos had a four-goal game? Like, when I saw that last night, I'm watching the game, you know, the Oilers have a comeback, hey, it's looking good, and then Tampa takes takes the game over, a couple of empty netters, Stamkos with one of them, and it's announced that it's his first four-goal game in the history of his career. Stamkos has 529 goals. 1,086 points. Been playing for Tampa since 2008. And last night was his first four-goal game? Really? Tampa ends the Edmonton Oilers' winning streak at eight. Interesting game there, as Stuart Skinner mentioned after the game. Not exactly his best performance. And I can think of one play specifically, the ill-fated move on Nikita Kucherov. One, you have to read that position. And two... You should probably be aware that that's Nikita Kucherov. And what you're thinking at that moment, he's not going to bite on. Anyhow, um, the Tampa Bay Lightning reminded everybody last night just how good they are and how good they can be. Uh, They beat the Oilers and the winning streak is over. Uh, A couple of other interesting things from last night. Uh, Congratulations to Drew Bannister, interim head coach of the St. Louis Blues, in his NHL debut his St. Louis Blues are victorious. Robert Thomas with two goals. 4-2 is the final score. They beat the Ottawa Senators. But the story coming out of this one is crying. Jordan Cairo with a tearful apology for his remarks about Craig Berube, the ex-coach of the St. Louis Blues, and tried to clarify what he meant when he said he had no comments about the Berube situation, adding, he's not my coach anymore. Hopefully everyone can get past this and this doesn't become a thing in St. Louis and fans have just decided to vent all their frustration on Jordan Cairo. Hopefully everybody can get past this. Um, There were a couple of different games going on at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. There was the early game, which was Columbus taking over Toronto, 5-0 into the third period. There was a second game, which was the five-goal comeback. And then there was the overtime where Nylander almost ended it, Matthews almost ended it until... Kent Johnson did end it. And in the process, the Columbus Blue Jackets become the first team ever to win a game after surrendering five goals in the third period, a five-goal lead, rather, in the third period. More on that coming up in a couple of moments. To me, the highlight of last night, though, was Roberto Luongo. Um, It's his Ring of Honor evening, and there he is, Roberto Luongo, number one. Should the number be retired by the Vancouver Canucks? Discuss amongst yourselves. But it's always great hearing Luongo talk. And if we could, I would just play the whole thing. (laughs) One of our favorite interviews on 32 Thoughts was Roberto Luongo. Anyone who's ever had an encounter with him will say the same thing. One of the best personalities of the game. One of the best goaltenders of his era. Hall of Famer. um, Internationally accomplished as well. A um, someone who helped to create, and yes, I mean this earnestly, someone who helped create hockey Twitter. You know, I've always thought that there, and I wanted to do this on the old ice surfing show, create a Twitter Hall of Fame. It'd be a Hall of Fame for tweets specifically. 
and I think Luongo, a, a number of Luongos, uh, would have been in on first ballots. Maybe I'll get around to doing that at some point, either on the show or whatever other show I end up doing somewhere down the road. Um, but Luongo, uh, in his generation, was A, an excellent goalie, B, a great personality, C, a tremendous interview, D, a wonderful teammate, and E, just a great great person to follow and watch as a fan. Uh, before we get to Elliot, let's play a quick clip. Last night, Roberto Luongo addressing his fans in Vancouver. The, the following season in the, in the playoffs, we were playing Chicago in the first round, and we know, we know how that story goes, but in, in Game 7 overtime, and I'm sure you guys have all seen the video, but when Burr scores the goal... There was a mosh pit in the corner here. I skated so fast from the net to that, and it was just pure fury. I, that was the most excited I've ever been after any game in my whole career. That is, uh, that is one of my favorite Vancouver Canucks goals. That is the ball hockey goal, and we know that Burroughs has a strong ball hockey background. That is the ball hockey, grab it out of the air, put it down and one-time it, all in one fell swoop. It's one of my favorite Vancouver Canucks goals of all time. Probably my favorite Alex Burroughs goal uh, of all time. He scored a lot playing with the Sidians, as we all know. But last night was the night for Roberto Luongo, although Thatcher Demko channeled his inner, inner Roberto Luongo, stopping 36 as Vancouver took care of the Florida Panthers by a final score of 4 nothing. Coming up on the show today, bottom of the hour, Paul Maurice, head coach of the Florida Panthers, hour two, Daniel Briere, the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, Billy Jaffe from Nesson in between those two. And to kick it off, as always, the one and only Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Elliot, what did you think of Luongo last night? What stood out for you? Oh, I, I thought it was great. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I always laugh when someone comes back and they're honored by their team or they get their jersey retired or something, and they say, I really root the best for the Canucks, except for tonight. Uh, those lines always make me laugh. <laughs> I know it's, it's what you would call yeah. a cheap pop in wrestling, but I, I, I love That's them. Okay. I thought it was a great night. Good night, fun night. The fans liked it. He liked it. Canucks W. Yep. Canucks fans go home happy. Yeah, bulletproof win-win all around, except for the Florida Panthers, who have now been blanked in back-to-back games. You know, one of the points that I was making off the top of the show here about Luongo, not just the hockey player, but the hockey personality. You know, one of the things, Fridge, that when I was doing the ice surfing show with uh, Jason Yorick and Steve Dangle and Stan Narodka and Kaylee Sibley, one of the things that I wanted to do with it, because we were being broadcast on Twitter, is I wanted to create a Hockey Twitter Hall of Fame. And every week we would, you know, nominate and vote on a, a very famous hockey tweet, uh, one that really cut through. And I would have to, I would, I would imagine that if we had the time to actually do it and pull it off and do it properly, Luongo would have been amongst the first five or six tweets uh, in the, uh, the Twitter Hockey Hall of Fame. Your thoughts on Luongo, not as a player, but as a personality around the game. First of all, I, I, I'm listening to you talk about the Hockey Tweet Hall of Fame. I, I can't believe that show got canceled, I have to say. Um, but <laughs> It would have been great. The, tra- the, the trade is one for one. Like, that would have gone in. Like, there have been some beauties along the way. There have been some very good ones. I actually think that uh, the way he handled himself on Twitter helped change uh, a lot of the perception of Luongo. And, you know, we talked Agreed. about this. Yes. Uh, we, you know, the one thing about Luongo was, and um, 
I, I thought that a lot of time the perception of Luongo wasn't true to the person uh, of Luongo. Um, you know, he when he left Vancouver, it wasn't always easy, right? You know, there was there that time he yeah. was newly traded to the Leafs, and he comes out and he says my contract sucks and and stuff like that. And you know, if you ask the people who worked with the Canucks. Nobody suffered more on a daily basis the ups and downs of wins and losses than um, Roberto Luongo did. As a matter of fact, I went through, uh, Jeff, I wrote a big story about the 2010-11 Canucks, and I was looking through some of the quotes yesterday, mm-hmm. and T.C. Carling, who worked there for a long time, he told the story of a day where Luongo was the backup, and, um, yep. and he said to him, like, what's the difference, Roberto, between being the starter in the backup, and he said, well, I don't feel like throwing up all day. And, you know, it, it, <laughs> it, it really wore on him, the pressure, because he put a lot of pride on yeah. himself. He re- it really wore on yeah. him. And as a result, he never really enjoyed Vancouver as much as he should have. And I don't think the fan base really understood how much he cared in the moment. But I just really thought when he started tweeting and people, and that's that kind of, uh, that kind of personality showed, I think it really changed a lot of the way that mm-hmm. people viewed him. Um, j- just to, to, to sharpen the pencil on something you, you, you mentioned there, that Luongo to the Toronto Maple Leafs trade that was discussed and came close but couldn't get over the finish line, I would imagine that you know salary would have been uh, a major issue there for the, uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Was it, was it, I have in the back of my head rattling around, was it Kadri and Gardner? Going the other way, do you recall what the conversation was? Something like that. I I had to ask someone. It was something like that, yes. But the problem was, and I always remember this story being told to me, was that it started too late. Like, the the thing that really screwed up that deal was that the two teams tried to leverage each other. They sat there, and, like, the Canucks thought the Leafs really wanted Luongo. And they did. And the Leafs thought the Canucks really wanted to move Luongo. And at the time, they did. So they thought they could leverage the deadline against each other. And the problem was that was such a complicated deal that they both ran out of time. Mm-hmm. Like that, you know, it's, it's sometimes in negotiations, you get too smart for your own good. You say, well, we're going to leverage their desperation at the deadline. And the problem was they were both a little bit desperate. They both thought they had the leverage yeah. over each other. And they ran out of time. They kind of the two teams kind of outsmarted themselves there. <laughs> I'm not going to ask her to dance. She's going to ask me. I'm not going to ask him to dance. He's going to ask me. And then and they go and they go and they marry themselves. They go and they marry someone else. And then there's a movie about it starring Nicolas Cage and Leone. <laughs> Very good. Uh, you've you've read the script before. Um, yes. You know, one of the things that was that I, I found really bizarre about last night. I, I'm not. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe this was a raised eyebrow for you. It was for me. I'm not sure if it was for you or not. I'm shocked that that was Steven Stamkos's first four goal game. Yes. In the NHL, he scored four goals. Yeah. He Tampa takes care of the Edmonton Oilers. The streak is over. And one of the things that I'm going to bed last night, I'm like, what is that real? Four, he's got 530 goals or 528 and played since 2008, and that was his first four-goal game? 
I don't know. I don't know why it's really stuck or resonated with me, but I would have figured that along the way he'd have a couple of, at least a couple of four-goal games. Your thoughts on Stamkos last night and also maybe what's going to happen here with Steven Stamkos? We haven't picked up his conversation since the beginning of the season where Stamkos said that he was you know, disappointed that Julian Brisebois hadn't engaged in any contract negotiation talk. Thoughts on Stamkos to player last night and thoughts on Stamkos to businessman here? Well, I, I love Stamkos, the player. I've always been a huge fan. I, I'm, I'm a very big fan of his. Um, you know, you think about... The, the great thing about Stamkos is maybe about 10 years ago, we all would have thought... I think there was a lot of worry that Stamkos' legacy was what could have been as opposed to what became. People thought about him as a guy yeah. who got hurt a lot. And some of them were really weird injuries too, right? Like there was a blood clot, the broken leg going into the net, and that. So people thought about him as, oh, well, what could have been? Well, now we're talking about what he did. The cops, the 500 goals, the 1,000 points. So I'm a huge Stamkos fan. I just don't think much has gone on. Like, first of all, I think there's a situation where, like, the Lightning like to keep quiet. I think Stamkos prefers to keep this quiet. But secondly, I just think the Lightning outlined their plan, and I don't believe that plan has changed. And that is, we're going to figure this out at the end of the season. I think Stamkos is obviously frustrated about it. But, you know, Julian Griswold, once he makes a decision, he's not afraid to stick to that decision. Yeah. Um, so the Oilers winning streak comes to an end last night. Uh, Tampa Bay reminds people just how good they can be. I know you talked on the podcast uh, this morning. You have some concerns about Tampa's depth, depth. Uh, specifically yeah. in the playoffs. But, uh, man, did they ever look good last night. And Vasilevsky just looked fantastic. And as, as Stewart Skinner mentioned afterwards, and I, just ridiculous, right? Like, that is that is playoff yeah. assy right there. Um, yeah. And Stuart Skinner after the game saying, like, that this, this one's on me. And, and the one... The one that I'll really point to in this one is the Kucherov play. One, and it's a bad decision on the Kucherov play. And, and number two, as I was mentioning off the top, you got to know that that's Kucherov. <laughs> like, if that yeah. is, you know, somebody else, a fourth liner for the Tampa Bay Lightning, maybe you get away with that move, but you're not going to fool Nikita Kucherov. I'm sorry. Well, it's like Kelly Rudy's great story about uh, in, in training camp, they're playing an exhibition game one day, and... Uh, um, it's a two-on-one against Pittsburgh, and it's Mario Lemieux and the other guy, and, and Kelly uh, said he kind of worried about what the other guy might do, and Billy Smith yelled at him after the game and said, what are you doing there? And he goes, well, I was worried about the other guy. But this was like, it's Mario Lemieux. You, you worry about him, and you forget anybody <laughs> else is out there. Yeah. Like uh, it, it's like the uh, the rush in the '87 Canada Cup in, in Game Three. It's Gretzky, Lemieux, and it's Larry Murphy, and there's not a chance in hell, even though he's a great decoy, that Larry Murphy is getting that pass. Ignore him. There's no way the puck is going uh, to go there. Um, coming up a little bit later on, I'm going to talk to Daniel Briere, the uh, general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, Philly last night wins again. Uh, Sammy Erson with 27 saves. This one took a shootout. Bobby Brink with just a gorgeous move. Um, yep. Charlie Lindgren last night was really, really excited about the poke check for some reason. Bobby Brink didn't bite uh, and got around him. Uh, 4-3 is the final score. Uh, Seven-game point streak now for the Philadelphia Flyers, 5-0-2. And for the 11th game in a row, 
no goals for Alex Ovechkin. Now, yeah. I've seen too many people commit, um, you know, Twitter harakiri by saying Ovechkin's done or Ovechkin's washed or it's over. So I'm not going to go yeah. there. But the thing about Ovechkin is people that, you know, uh, analyze the game with a lot of, um, without using a lot of underlying numbers will tell you it's not that he's uh, got an abnormally low shooting percentage. It's just that it, it, the, the bigger problem is he's not even getting the chances anymore. Yeah. Like when you yeah. see Ovechkin now, what, go, what goes through your mind? Well, obviously last night I was working uh, Columbus, Toronto, so I was watching uh, that game yeah. a lot more. But I did have Washington Philly on a TV right in front of me. And the thing that, and this is like, you're talking about the under, underlying numbers. I'll go with the eye test for a second. When Ovechkin played for a long time, even if he wasn't scoring, you always noticed him. He was always doing yep. something. He was, he was like, he was flying through your TV screen, skidding up the ice, ready to get into position to score. Or earlier in his career in particular, he was running over people, right? Yep. Now, yep. You don't notice him as much. So I'm not surprised the underlying numbers aren't as good because I don't think he's as noticeable. Um, and he looks slower, like he just does. I, I, don't, I don't know what the tag says. I don't, I, you know, I don't know what his average speed is, but yeah. he just looks slower. And, you know, Jeff, I, I, I'm hesitant to write somebody off after 30 games I, I agree with what you said yep. there about be, be careful about making premature proclamations. But the one thing, like we all know father time is undefeated and sometime yep. you get to the cliff and you fall over it. And I think you just do wonder, are we getting there? But the, the thing that really stands out to me is you always noticed him. He always was doing something, even mm -hmm. if it was just skating hard up the ice. You always notice them, and you just don't notice him as much anymore. And that's the concern I have. You know, there's um, the, there's a history of players in their uh, in their in the uh, in their elder years uh, by NHL standards that you know just like to take one timers from the half wall and the power play is going to go through me and just feed me, feed me, feed me. Uh, I never thought that we'd see that from Alex Ovechkin, and like you, I'm not going to say the 30 games is a trend here for Ovechkin for the remainder of his career, but I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I'm really wondering about this and, and what this means for, uh, for 894 and the, uh, and the goal chase here. Okay, you mentioned you worked the Maple Leafs game last night, and that was a lie. You worked the Maple yep. Leafs games last night yes. because there wasn't just one game last night in Toronto. Describe your night to us, Elliot. What was that like? I know it was like watching from my office, but what was it like watching from the studio and the conversations with Nick and Justin and David? Well, at the beginning of the game, and I think they talked about it on their radio show too, Nick and Justin uh, had talked about how um, it had been, they were worried about it being a classic trap game. Like you just come through uh, a, uh, your father's trip, um, you go through New York, you you lose you get a point but you lose the honors in overtime and then you get a big win over the rangers so you get three out of four points and you know here's columbus and they got off to a terrible start 
Uh, they made some bad giveaways in the first period. Like, I thought Samsonov was good in the first. That game could have been 4 or 5 nothing. He made some big saves. But then yeah. as you're watching that go in the second period, and you're like, what a disaster this is. Like, it's the worst game of the year that they've played, really. And, um, you know, you're going to have stinkers, but it was, it, was the, like, it was the worst game of the year. And then all of a sudden, like, it was funny with Justin. He's like, okay, if they get one early, it's interesting. They get one early. If they get another one here with about five minutes in, it's really interesting. They get another one. And then he starts saying, well, they got to get another one at the 10-minute mark. And they didn't. It, it was just under five minutes. But when the 5-4 one went in, Jeff, I, I was like, they're not wasting mm-hmm. this. They're, they're tying it. And it was almost an epic disaster for the Blue Jackets. They, they, Ken Johnson won it in overtime. But um, – uh, people are going to remember that game for the pure entertainment value of it. That's what they're going to remember it for. But the, you know the coach is going to be like, where were we for 40 minutes? Like, there was, there, there's, yeah. But it, it was also like you could tell in the, the Maple Leafs came out in the third period like, this team we're playing, they're not that good. And we can still beat them. And they believed it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm I'm with you. And, you know, and Sheldon Keefe talked about how troubling the first couple of periods were. And I'm I'm wondering, you know, what decisions will be made for Saturday's game, Hockey Night in Canada, Pittsburgh Penguins, Crosby's having a great, great season uh, on the podcast. We were, we were, yeah, yeah, we were, we were talking about him and, and, and the Hart Trophy on the podcast last night. Um, do we see Martin Jones tomorrow in that for Toronto? I have to tell you, after seeing, like, after hearing what Curtis Sanford said, let's keep him in and let him battle, I'm not convinced of that, that we're going to see Jones. Um, Hmm. Like, what that said to me last night is the Maple Leafs, look, he's only signed to a one-year deal, um, but he's he's their better goalie now with Wool injured. That's what the team thinks. That says to me that the Leafs of an organization have something invested here in Samsonov. Like, I, I thought for sure, and Craig Simpson, who was a coach, you know, when Samsonov yeah. came out in the third period, Simmer's like they're keeping Jones for Saturday. And I will always defer to Craig because he's forgotten more about hockey than I know. But after hearing what Sanford mm-hmm. said and who revealed that, then let's see if he stays in there and battles with the team. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Samsonov tomorrow. Like, that says to me, We've got something invested in him, and we've got to push him. We'll see who comes out tomorrow. Um, a couple things from hey, that game. You, One I'm going to ask you something. I gotta, okay, let's leave, uh, yeah, shoot. this game. And then, no, I'm going to ask you something about another game, so finish this game. Okay, well, let me, let me, let me just finish one thing. Uh, Patrick Lina yesterday, fractured clavicle. Yeah. He is out for six weeks. Uh, it's getting, if you thought it couldn't get worse for Columbus, Elliot, it's getting worse. Yeah, that's a, that's a bad one. Um, you know, obviously there's going to be no supplementary discipline. I think, at least in terms of a suspension yeah. or anything like that, we'd already know by now. Um, you know, there were some people who thought that was a real slew foot. There were other people who thought it was a puck battle. You know, obviously they feel it was a puck mm. battle. Um, but I wondered in the moment. Um, but uh, just a nightmare year for Line A. A nightmare year for the Blue Jackets. I mean, the one thing I think if you're Columbus, you're hoping from now until – like, like the players in the morning, I talked to this about you yesterday, they're talking about how we're better than we've shown. We're, we're better than our record says. And for two periods, 
they they almost proved that theory, and then they held on for dear life to win the game. But I, I think now, if you're Columbus, what you're hoping for as a win to this year is Fantilli. Does he continue growing into a number one center? Uh, I think he will. But Ken Johnson, like this is a guy who got banished in the minors. I had a chance to talk to him uh, a little bit in the morning. Like he had a three-point night and scored the winner last night. If if you can show that Fantilli and Sillinger are your guy or uh, Fantilli and Johnson are your guys, then in a way, middle of this nightmare season, that's a win for you. Okay, hang on a second here. I'm going to write down a name. Okay. Okay, Is I think it... I know what you're going to ask me. Go ahead, hang on. No, okay. No. You go ahead. Ask me what you were going to ask me about what game last night. Cal- uh, 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 Calgary, Minnesota. Am I right? You're you're right. And here's the name that I've written down. If everyone can see this on television, it is Zuccarello. No, I thought you were going to write down like Kim Kardashian or something like that. No, uh, yes. <laughs> no, I thought you, I thought you were going to ask me about the uh, about the, uh, the the controversy or the the controversy with the should it have counted 100%, as a goal or not? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm asking you that. <laughs> so we had a big argument on the podcast okay. this morning about Ottawa, Carolina, yes. Chekhov, and Kachuk. I thought Kachuk should have yep. been given another another chance because I think Kachekov okay. clearly goes for the right skate, and you're you. you you disagreed with me on the lamest of, of technicalities. And, like, to me, last night, if that goal counts for Zuccarello, there's no reason that Kachuk shouldn't have got another chance. None. Zero. That, once again, proves that I was right and no. you were wrong. No. So I'm glad you said, because I am about to send you, because I am, uh, folks, just so you understand this, the relationship that I have with Elliot, this is our relationship. There is no work relationship in hockey that is more petty than me and Elliot's. So I got sent a screen cap from an NHL official last night who was agreeing with me. Of course. Well, they um, made the call. This official, the official says, on a breakaway, this is the Kachetkov Kachuk. On a breakaway, I think it could have been a penalty, but on the penalty shot, once Kachuk loses, puck shot is complete. The puck slides into the goalie while Kachuk is still on his feet. He has had the puck on his stick, pulling it to the outside, outside and if, sorry, has he had the puck on his stick, pulling it to the outside and got tripped, I'd say he deserved a do-over, but in this case, he lost control as the puck rolled into the goalie's chest. Here's a still frame showing the puck hitting the goalie while Kachuk is still on his skates. I'm going to send you that picture. I'm going to send you that screenshot. I don't, screen care, I now, don't care about the picture. Hang on. You to know why Kachuk lo- Hold Hang on. on. You know why Kachuk loses the puck? Because <laughs> he sees Kachekov is diving for him. That's why. <laughs> but it ends. That's why. At that point, it ends. You are, a, you are a lot. Hang on. Kachekov is allowed to go down in that position. He's not going down a position. He's diving at Kachuk's feet. But the problem is you're watching it in slow motion. And this is one thing I do agree with the league on, is that sometimes when we watch things in slow motion, it distorts what happens. The, Not all the time. See, that play, in this the, case, the, that is true. The Carolina-Ottawa situation is completely different than Vladar and Zuccarello. 
the Zuccarello no, play. The, 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 yes, it is. No, it is because the issue in question is, was it a double tap? And in this case, they ruled that it wasn't a double tap because there was no initial shot. You can't have a rebound if you don't have a shot. That was part of a move pulling it over. That's how he was able to hit it again because they but ruled that is, he is didn't that shoot it. Was Kachuk was making a move, too. He wasn't shooting it. He was going to make a move, and it he, got aborted when he yeah. saw Kachetkov going for his feet. So smart play by Kachetkov. Smart play by Kachetkov, as far as I'm yeah, concerned. I, hey, look, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. I'm, I'm all good with that. I, I understand that. But to me, just because, like, I, like, I look at it as... I don't know. I just think Kachuk is the kind of guy he was trying to make a move. He got blown up by the player. He couldn't make the move. To me, they're no different. No different. None. Zero. And I am right, and you are wrong, and that other referee is wrong, too. This this is not apples and oranges. This is chalk and cheese. These two scenarios are completely different. They just feel similar to you, but they're not. (laughs) <laughs> okay, speaking of, hang on, let me, let me take this another to another place here. Speaking of Brady Kachuk, uh, what did you make of him last night? Because that Tyler Tucker fight was not old school. It was from the school they burned down to build the old <laughs> school with the family in attendance. Your thoughts on Brady Kachuk in a losing effort. I know last night was about, you know, the Drew Bannister and Jordan Cairo, but just want to get your thoughts on Brady Kachuk. Look, I, I think uh, history has proven that whenever Ottawa's losing a frustrating game, like by two or three goals, there's a good chance that a uh, Brady Kachuk fight is going to follow. Um, I, you know, I'm not yeah. surprised about that in the least. And you bring up the good point that, you know, it's St. Louis where the Kachuk family lives and they're all there. So I, yeah. I, I think that, you know, I, I, like, I'm not surprised in the least bit that that happened. Not at all. Um, you know, you asked me last night about Ottawa and, I didn't really talk about them too much. Like, I know there's a lot of heat on the coach there. um, But on some level, too, it's also about the players. Like, um, you know, we've seen some situations here where, yes, um, you change the coach and you get the bounce, right? Like, it happened this year in Edmonton. It happened this year in Minnesota. And, you know, St. Louis got a win in their first game last night under Bannister. And so I understand why people kind of say that, but at the at the end of the day too, like it's like I, I don't look at Ottawa what's happening this year is solely on the fo- fo- uh, the fault of the coaches, and I think it's way too simplistic to blue to view it that way. Um, I you know I I think that that team like Buffalo is is just being reminded of how hard it is to win. Like, you know, like I, I think like I, Ottawa's loose. And to me, it's not only coaching. It never is. Like sometimes the coach takes the fall and sometimes you've got to make your change. I understand all that, but I like watching Ottawa as much as I could last night. It's not all coaching. Like it's just a team yet that isn't Mm. entirely ready and detail oriented to win. 
I think a lot of it, like a lot of these situations, you look at the net minding too. Uh, up against the clock here. Um, great stuff as always, even though you're totally wrong about Brady Kachuk. We'll move on from that conversation. Uh, still plenty of time to for you to be wrong about other things, Elliot. You can do it tomorrow on Hockey Night, and you can do it on our next podcast uh, Sunday evening. Have a great weekend. We'll, uh, we'll talk again later this weekend. The baseball has 11 and a half hours. I could be about something. <laughs> there he is, uh, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts in Hockey Night in Canada.